John chapter 10, verses 11 through 18. This is Jesus speaking. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know them also, and they will listen to my voice. Free me. Verse 15. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Well, what shall we say to commemorate the death of Jesus Christ, to remember the death of Jesus Christ? The passage before us is one of the many I am statements of Jesus. Jesus is speaking in terms of a metaphor, calling himself our shepherd. As a matter of fact, the way, the, uh, where we get the word pastor from is the same word where we get from shepherd. This is Jesus declaring himself to be the shepherd of the sheep, the pastor of his people. And the greatest act that he does as our pastor, the greatest act he does as our shepherd, at least according to this text, is to lay down his life for us. And so as we remember Jesus laying down his life, I want us to call, recall to our minds five important things that we see from this text specifically about the death of Jesus. The first one is that the death of Jesus was vicarious. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus repeats this throughout this short passage that he was dying for the sheep. That preposition being on their behalf sometimes translated. But either way, what we see in the death of Jesus is that it was beneficial for the sheep. It, it accomplished something on their behalf. This is important throughout the history of the church. Uh, well, really, it wasn't so much a debate in the history of the church. It's become a debate later on in the history of the church, and we've looked back and turned it into a debate. But there has been a debate among what do we do with the death of Jesus? What exactly did it accomplish? Why did he do that? And the different answers to that question fall under what we call different atonement theories. And there's a variety of different atonement theories, and what you'll notice is that all of them are right. The problem with the modern-day atonement debate is not that people believe wrong things about the cross. When they fall into error is when they take this one true thing and they limit the cross to that. But all of them are true. But what you will find is some people take this view of the atonement where the only reason Jesus died was to be a kind of demonstration. Why did Jesus die? He died to show his love. And what greater way to show it? As a matter of fact, some people have taken it a little bit further and they've called it the moral theory of the atonement, which is that Jesus showed his love and he showed us how to live a good life, a moral life under persecution. Now, this is true. This is true. Uh, Peter says this in his epistle that 
we are to learn from Jesus, from the cross specifically, on how it is that we are to handle persecution. So this is true. Jesus' death absolutely shows his love. We're going to get to that in a minute. And Jesus' death, all the passages that we just read, are an, uh, an important example for us. How are we to endure Christian persecution? Look to the cross. These things are true, but it's crucially important that we understand the cross is not limited to that. The cross was not just a demonstration of something. It wasn't just a showcase. It was for us. The metaphor Jesus uses in this text is that he lays down his life for the sheep against oncoming wolves. So what does that mean? If Jesus doesn't lay down his life, what happens? We die. Jesus was not just saying, hey, look at me, look at how great I am. He was protecting us from something. His death accomplished something on our behalf. And so one of the more important things we have to understand about the death of Christ is what we call vicarious redemption. Jesus' death was a vicarious death. What does that mean? Vicarious means substitute. It means in the place of another. That's why we sometimes will maybe criticize parents for trying to live vicariously through their children. They're trying to live through them in the place. They are standing in the place of the parent at that point. Jesus died a substitutionary death. In other words, to use the analogy he gives us, he died the death that was coming for the sheep. The book of Galatians makes this very clear when it discusses the consequences of sin, the consequences of breaking God's law is you now deserve to be cursed by the law and that curse was death on a cross. But Jesus died it in our place. He died it for us. He wasn't just showing us his love, though he was doing that. He was accomplishing something that without it, we would be lost forever. He died, as Romans says, to be the propitiation to turn God's wrath away from us, to turn the penalty of our sin away from us, he died vicariously. He died the death that we deserve. He died in our place. He laid down his life for his sheep. The death of Jesus was a vicarious death. But we see in this passage another thing. The death of Christ was loving. This was an act of love, verses 12 through 15. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. According to these verses, why did Jesus die for you? Again, we already discussed there's more than one answer to that. But according to these verses, why did he die for you? He makes it very clear because he cares for you. Why is it that the hired hand won't die for the sheep? The hired hand who doesn't actually own the sheep, the shepherd just is too busy and so he pays someone to go and do his shepherding duties for him. That hired man is not in it for the sheep. He's in it for the money. He doesn't own the sheep. He doesn't actually care about the sheep. He just wants the money. So when a wolf comes... That's dangerous territory. That's dangerous business. You ever try to fight a wolf with a slingshot? With a cane? So if he doesn't really truly care for these sheep, he's gone. They're not his sheep. <laughs> he can do without the money. But Jesus says, I'm not a hired hand. I am a good shepherd. 
So I won't flee. When they're in trouble, I won't flee. Why? Because the hired hand cares nothing for the sheep. But since Jesus is not a hired hand, the shepherd, what does that imply? He does care for them. Why did Jesus die? Because he cares for us. He died for you because he cares for you because he loves you. So we have to be careful not thinking of Jesus is very clear in this text that he was commissioned from his father. We'll get to that point as well. But even that, we can't just limit it to that. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Well, because it was his father's will. Yeah, that's true. But he's not just a hired hand. (laughs) He's the shepherd. The picture that John 10 presents to us is not a picture of Jesus reluctantly, well, I mean, I guess this is, uh, father's the boss. No, there's something in it for him, and it's you. He cares for you. He loves his sheep. He knows his sheep. And it is out of that great care and love for them, I'll die for them. I won't flee. I'll die. Jesus' death was loving. We also see, and this was difficult to come up with an appropriate word for this, but the death of Christ was universal. Verse 16 And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Now, when I say it's universal, I'm not teaching what's often called universalism, that all will be saved. But what does Jesus mean here specifically in verse 16? It's important for Jesus to communicate as he talks about laying down his life for his sheep. He knows all of his hearers, the context that they're in, are thinking he's talking about the fold of Jerusalem, of Israel. That Jesus, uh, they, they would hear this, they would interpret that as Jesus saying, I am the Jewish Messiah, I have come for the Jews. The sheep metaphor was not uncommon to the Jewish people. Even in the Old Testament, the prophets, as they would decry the Jewish leaders for their sin, they would say things like, God is going to judge you, the people are going to be scattered and confused, and Israel will be like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, even tells his disciples, I have come only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So thinking of Jesus' sheep in terms of a national physical people group was programmed already into people's minds. And so when they hear the Jewish Messiah talking about coming for his sheep, they hear the Jewish Messiah coming for Israel. And so Jesus goes out of his way to say, by the way, you're thinking way too small. Because I have sheep that are not part of this fold. I have sheep that are actually outside of Israel. And I have come to bring them also. Jesus is not the Jewish Messiah. He's your Messiah. The sheep, Jesus is now reinterpreting his sheep as his elect people all around the earth. Jew and Gentile, this amazing act where the crucifixion has a a reconciliatory power, where the death of Christ now brings together Jew and Gentile, where there was once a vast, sharp distinction, a wall of hostility. The blood of Christ, as Ephesians says, has obliterated that wall, and all of God's elect, all of his true sheep have been gathered, are continuing to be gathered under their one shepherd. As John the Baptist tells us at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, 
Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of Israel, the sin of Jerusalem. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus came for sheep, both Jew and Gentile. He has come to make us one. The death of Christ was universal. It was for all nations, people of every tribe, every tongue. The fourth thing we see is that the death of Jesus Christ was voluntary. It was voluntary. This is very important. Verse 18, Jesus says this about his death. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. Jesus is very clear that the crucifixion was a self-giving act. Jesus volunteered for this. He tells us again, as we just read in verse 18, no one takes his life from him. He lays it down of his own accord. This is also just implied all throughout the text as Jesus says, I lay down my life for the sheep. He doesn't describe his life as being taken for the sheep. He lays down his own life. All throughout this text, we see the self-giving of Jesus Christ. Philippians 2 says that the humility of Christ is demonstrated in that before the incarnation, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but instead humbled himself, emptying himself by taking on the form of a servant being made in human form. Jesus humbled himself. He emptied himself. He laid his own life down. We see the agency of Jesus in his death. Now, the reason this is so important is because I take us back to those atonement debates There are many, many people who passionately decry our first point, the substitutionary, the vicarious death of Jesus. They don't want that to be true, and the reason they don't is because they they are uncomfortable speaking of mankind as having some kind of debt before God. They are uncomfortable seeing the Father as being just, where He would actually require payment. They want a God who can just forgive. He doesn't, the justice doesn't have to be served, he can just forgive. And they will often say horrible things where they will compare Yahweh to pagan deities because it is very common among pagan religions to see blood sacrifice as being a requirement to appease the gods. Now, there are many reasons why this analogy is broken and sinful, but the only one I want us to look at today is that in pagan religions, the blood sacrifices were not self-giving. They would steal children and kill them against their will. Jesus was not a form, as people like to say, of cosmic child abuse. This was not a form of a pagan deity needing to be satisfied by sacrificing his child. Why? Because Jesus laid down his life of his own accord. No one takes it from him. This was not someone taking a child and forcing him to be sacrificed. This was Jesus voluntarily emptying himself. I take this on myself. As a matter of fact, this is, it's not part of our text, but John chapter 10 ends with this famous verse in verse 30 where Jesus says, I and the Father are one. 
Evangelicals love to point to that text as a proof text for the Trinity, but let me tell you very importantly, that has nothing to do with the Trinity. The Trinity is true. The Bible teaches the Trinity, but that verse is not about the Trinity. As a matter of fact, only, I think it's only one chapter later, Jesus goes on to pray that the disciples would also be one as you and I are one. We're not going to enter into a trinity together. The unity that Jesus is talking about is not the trinitarian ontological sameness and essence of God. Jesus is talking about how him and the Father have, share a same will. That they, are, they share their will in the divine plan. Jesus was not forced to do something against his will. Jesus did not have to be convinced to do this. Jesus doesn't think, you know, I think the Father's way off on this, but I mean, I, he's the boss. We're one. This was not cosmic child abuse. This was not someone taking Jesus and sacrificing him against his will. This was Jesus and the Father saying, this is what needs to be done. This is the glorious plan. Let it be done. Jesus laid down his life for us. Which is a helpful segue into our fifth point. Which is that even though Jesus laid down his own life, the text does say the Father and I are one and that he was given this charge from his Father. So this was the self-giving of Christ, but the text also tells us that this was also the obedience of Christ. Our last point, the death of Christ was obedient. Jesus says in verses 17 and 18, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. Why did Jesus come to die for you? Because he loves the Father. Because he loves you, yes, but because he loves the Father. Because this was the Father's plan. This was the charge his Father gave him. Jesus made this abundantly clear only four chapters earlier in John chapter 6 where he says over and over again, I have not come down to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that ever who looks, everyone who looks upon the Son and believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, I come down and I do not speak my own words. The only words I speak are every word the Father has given me. Jesus came, what the fa- came and did what the Father sent him to do. Jesus spoke and revealed what the Father sent him to reveal. Jesus came himself, submitted himself voluntarily to his Father's charge. Jesus loves the Father and wants the Father glorified. He prays that in John 17. And because of his obedience and his faithfulness, the Father loves him. Let's end with this. How would I uh, summarize all these five points? The five things we saw from John chapter 10, that the death of Christ was vicarious, it was loving, it was universal, it was voluntary, it was obedient. We'll end with this. In submission to the Father's will, and out of his great care for you, Christ Jesus voluntarily laid down his life in your place so that you might have life and have it abundantly.